You are listening to a message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. For more information on City Church, or for additional resources, including service times, recommended readings, and additional audio, please visit citychurchpa.org. I had a um, university professor, I'm sorry, a seminary professor by the name of um, Gerald Van Groningen. And uh, he was an old guy. I mean, he was really old. Uh, he knew Moses personally, I think. He was that old. Um, and he had old, you know, old ideas and things. And he had this, um, how do you say, passion that uh, the Bible was a Bible. If you presented him or even had in your possession a New Testament Bible, uh, he just kind of freaked out, even if it had Psalms and Proverbs added to it. That was not a Bible. It, to him, he said, uh, New Testament Bible is like taking a Bible and ripping it in half. And I, I kind of identified with him a little bit because I had an experience once. I was a young pastor and uh, had the opportunity to, to uh, pray with a young man um, who was really quite a... Huh, he literally was a hell's angel. He was kind of a bad dude, but um, he got married. His wife really put a squeeze on him, and uh, she was part of my church. And so eventually, he realized he had to repent, and he did. He had a, a genuine, honest-to-goodness, true uh, conversion experience at his home on a Wednesday night. And uh, he's all excited now. He's he's going to be a good Christian. He's going to be a believer and uh, so I told him, you know, I want you to come on church on Sunday. He said, oh, yes, Pastor Larry, I'm going to. And I said, and I want you to start to read the Bible. So I had a Bible to give to him. And I, and I told him, now, what I want you to do is I want you to start here and, and read, start with Matthew and just, just, you know, read the gospel, read about Jesus. And he said, okay, okay. So I leave. And that evening, he's all excited because now he's a Christian, he's going to read the Bible. So he gets out and he looks and he, he's, he's looking at this thing. Who starts a book like two-thirds of the way through? He had never, ever opened a Bible. I mean, this was a new experience for him. But what's wrong with the stuff in the front, you know? So he's kind of curious Pastor Larry told me to read here, but you know, I'm going to, what's the beginning here? Well, he got so excited. He goes, read Genesis, went, and he got on a roll, went to Exodus, Leviticus. Just, I mean, I think by the time Sunday came, he was already into Psalms. I'm not sure, but he was so jacked about it. He said, Pastor Larry, I'm so sorry, but I cheated. You know, I, I started at the beginning. I didn't get to what you wanted me to read, but it was so good. Because it, it, it explained why I am the way I am, why people are the way they are, that how God wants to try and help them. They don't do very well on it, but he, you know, he just, his, his impressions were really something. And, you know, we, we, we kind of laugh at those illustrations, but I do wonder that as Christians, sometimes, do we have this mentality that we don't need the Bible anymore? Um, you know, because after all, we, we have an app, you know, I, I, if I need the Bible right here, you know, I just kind of do, do, do. And, and the danger, though, 
becomes when I start to see the Bible as just sort of a helpful pick-me-up that I, that I can just kind of zip, zip, zip and get something every day. I know it might seem old school, but there is tremendous value into reading the Bible, okay? Uh, because as followers of Jesus, we need to know how to follow. And, and it, it, it shows us us in the Bible, which is what we call the Word of God. Jesus himself told the, the disciples in the, um, I don't like this thing. We're going to move him down here. Yeah, there we go. Jesus told these, his disciples after his resurrection, he's on a, a road to Emmaus and he has these two followers of his that just kind of come along and they're, they're just talking like, oh, I don't know what's going on. We, we saw Jesus crucified now all of a sudden he's supposedly alive we don't know what to believe and Jesus then says to them in Luke 24 27 then beginning with Moses Old Testament beginning with Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers then beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures the Old Testament and then later when Jesus met with the 11 disciples, Judas is gone now, the resurrected Jesus told them in verse 44 of the same chapter, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, those first few books that my, my, my excited new convert wanted to read and got so much out of, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So what I want us to see today is this, this walk that we're doing through Exodus is helping us to see Jesus. And we've already seen that the high priest represents Jesus, our true high priest, who is yet to come. And today what we're going to see in those three sections that we have heard in Exodus 30, we're going to see how God's standards, his law, is fulfilled in Jesus. And thus, when we are in Jesus, we are fulfilling the law, and we're doing it perfectly. Whew. So we're going to see that this census money is going to represent the cost of Christ's redemption for us. That bronze basin is going with the washing is going to symbolize the cleansing that we receive in Christ's redemption. And then the anointing oil is going to represent for us the commitment of Christ's redemption. But see it all of this is 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 dependent upon us seeing who we are, okay, which is that we are ones who need redemption. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, there is not one who does good, no, not even one. That's pretty clear. That's, that we can understand. 
But you know, Paul was quoting back in the Psalms. Psalm 14.3, almost word for word, says exactly the same thing. Now the psalmist was getting it from Genesis 6, where it's, where it's referring to the, the, the fact that the, the deluge, the Noah's flood was necessary because of sin having totally rampant throughout all mankind. And that was a result of our mother and father, original mother and father in the Garden of Eden, who disobeyed their heavenly father. So what we see, I hope to see, I hope you see, is that the Bible is this coherent whole. And growing in our faith necessitates us growing in our understanding of God's word to us, the Bible. And, and so in a sense, we're, if, if we're growing, we're starting, how do we start? Well, we start as little infants. And that's what 1 Peter 2, 2 tells us. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up to your salvation. Desire. You know, that, that, that word, um, uh, epitheo of, of in, in, in Greek, uh, epitheo, means a real strong desire, a passion, a, a longing for. Um, the way I felt when I saw this woman there, you know, and decided I needed to marry her. Desire. That's what we're supposed to have for the word of God. Now, I don't know about you, but you'd say, well, Larry, that doesn't exactly describe my attitude about Scripture. Pray for it. I mean it. Pray, God, give me that, that desire, because I know that my, my life depends on it. It really does, spiritually. Whew, I'm sorry. I'm all jacked up over the Bible, about his word. And so we're going to look now at Exodus 30. I hope I prepared you enough. All right. We're going to start with this, which is a bad place to start, but we ha we're starting with taxes. You know, we're all, we're not happy about taxes, and I'm sure the Israelites weren't any more happy about it. But the census tax, it says in verse 12 of, of uh, Exodus 30, when you take a census of the Israelites to register them, each of the men must pay a ransom for his life to the Lord as they are registered. And then no plague will come upon them as they are registered. You know, a ransom for your life. Have you ever seen, well, I'm sure you have. I mean, there's a, a, the TV show or the, the uh, movie where the, where the bad guy has a gun and here's this poor guy, you know, on his knees, begging for his life, right? Please don't shoot me. I'll do anything. Just don't shoot me. Please, please, please. You know, that attitude, that, that, that desperation should be our approach to God. Because quite frankly, that's us. We have absolutely nothing that we can offer to God for our salvation. That's what scripture tells us. And that's the reality of our lives. We are hopeless sinners. We are, we, we, we deserve 
damnation. We deserve eternal separation from God. So how can the Lord get that concept across to us? Well, he uses money. That works. The, the, the census tax is meant to be a token, really a reminder of, of our debt to God. And there is a beautiful, wonderful illustration of this in the New Testament, in Matthew 17. <clears throat> in, in Matthew 17, there is this story. Now, I want to read the beginning now in verse 24. Referring to the disciples, when they came to Capernaum, those who collected the temple tax approached Peter and says, said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. I'm sure he's like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 of course. Now, get this. Now, this is Peter. When Peter, when he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. I just love that. You know, here's Peter, probably thinking, how can I bring this up to Jesus? Jesus, uh, do you, are we paying the tax? Are we not paying the tax? Should we pay the tax? I'm not sure. He's probably just rolling this in his mind. Jesus already knows the question. The moment he walks in the door, Jesus said, what do you think, Peter? I, I just love that. What do you think, Simon? Jesus already was ready. I mean, so that alone was a miracle. There's going to be more miracles coming up. But just even the fact that Jesus already knew what Peter wanted was a miracle. But then he asked them, now he asked them the question. From whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from the strangers? Uh, from strangers, Peter answered. Then the sons are free, Jesus told him. But... So we won't offend them. Go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, and take the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and you. Now, there is a lot packed in here. Let me just walk you through it a little bit. The tax itself was a half a shekel. We read that in Exodus 30. So the fact that there's going to be one coin that's going to pay for the two of them means this is a one shekel coin. You know, it's really nice that Israel doesn't have inflation. It was a half a shekel a thousand years ago, and now, you know, it's now it's here. It's, 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 we don't live in that kind of world. But <laughs> anyway, but it's a one shekel coin that, is, that Peter is going to pull out of this fish. That, that is really an amazing miracle. I mean, as miracles go, it's hardly ever mentioned practically because it just seems like it's kind of, it's almost kind of like, why did, why did he have to do that? They actually had a collection plate. I mean, they, Judas was the one that carried money around, so they had, they had money. They could have, he could have paid it. Now, uh, by the way, uh, uh, half a shekel was two days of wages. So it, it was enough that it, you would bite. I mean, you would feel it. It wasn't just a token. It was, it was somewhat substantial. I think if any of us had to do, give two days of our pay, weekly pay, yeah, 
that'd be, that, that would hurt a little. So it was, it was not just a little money, but the fact that, that Peter's going to go down, he's going to get a fish, the first fish is just so happened to have a coin in its mouth, and it just so happens that that would be a one shekel coin that would just happen to be enough for the two of them to pay for this tax is, enough, is a tremendous miracle. I mean, just, just the circumstances are amazing. But the point of the story, though, that, that brings it together for me is, what about the other 11 disciples? I mean, come on, they, they still got to pay the tax too. Why couldn't, why couldn't there be 10 more fish? Or, I mean, I mean, think about it. There was a reason why it was one fish, one coin for these two people. And the reason goes back to Exodus 30. Think about it for a moment. Jesus is saying to Peter, we, I, we're still under the law. That law still applies. We have to pay the tax. But we're going to do it miraculously. And so, what Peter... I'm actually getting a tingle down my spine when I think about this. The point wasn't just paying the tax. It was, it was to demonstrate that Jesus was going to miraculously... Pay the debt for one other person. He was willing to do it for one. <laughs> he paid our debt. Not just for the whole world, but for, uh, for, for Larry Stout. For one person. I, I just... But you know... <laughs> you, that story in Matthew 17, which I, like I said, I think is almost like a, a throwaway miracle. Hardly anybody ever talks about it. But it's so poignant. It's so powerful if we relate it back to Exodus 30. It's giving us that we owe a debt to God. Jesus paid the full debt, the full cost of our redemption at a at a cost that we can never pay. The only thing we ever contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Which brings us now to the second focus in Exodus 30, which is this cleansing that comes from the bronze basin. Verse 20. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister by burning a food offering to the Lord... They must wash with water so they will not die. Now, again, get the picture here. If we're picturing the tabernacle, when you walk in, there is this very, very large altar to which sacrifices are being made literally from sunup to sundown. If you read ahead and get into Leviticus and read the first six, seven chapters of Leviticus, you'll realize that there's a, just a, a number of offerings that were required by the Israelites. There's, there's what, maybe two and a half million of them there in the wilderness. So this is a lot of, a lot of sacrificing going on. And they, to, to sacrifice means you're cutting open an animal to which blood is coming forth. This is a big, messy 
operation. We were talking about this in our home meeting uh, last week. Just how, how, what a bloody mess it must have been. And here they are. I mean, they're, they're, they're just um, covered in blood, literally, almost. And, but, but here now, to, to go before the Lord and worship them, they, they are in that, in that they want to do, go before a holy God. They want to give an offering. The offering is pure, but they are not. What do we do? God required a washing ritual. This bronze basin located right in the holy place, and that holy place had that the 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 uh, seven branch lampstand, the the uh, the altar of incense, the showbread, and all of this was the foyer way. The outer outer right before you would go into the holy of holies, where the ark of the covenant was, representing the presence of God. Now again. The best way for us to see this is an illustration, a story in Mark's gospel, chapter 7, where the, the Pharisees are judging Jesus' disciples for not washing. They had this, this issue with the disciples. And, and the, the irony of this, if you start with Mark 1 and read to 7, you'll, you'll find that in Mark's uh, account, you see that the crowds are growing larger, the miracles are happening, and they're growing in number and intensity. A lot of exciting things are happening, but the only thing that the Jewish leaders are worried about is, is washing. You know, they're missing all that. Because he did not observe their traditions concerning ritual purity. Now, what Mark 7 Jesus is now going to give the religious leaders a real lesson about the law. And he turns to the crowd. He's, he's not going to tell them. So, you know, you guys, crowd, listen. Listen to me, he says in verse 14, 15. Listen to me, all of you, even you crying over there. Listen to this one. And understand, nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus is telling these guys, well, he's telling them that will listen. He's, those people over there, they're not going to listen. He's telling them that what the Lord wants is not to be so concerned with, with hand washing as much as heart watching. Because Proverbs 4.23 tells us this. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. And, and James is going to echo that in, in chapter 4.8, where James says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Note in Exodus 30, 21, it says it was necessary to wash hands and feet or they would die. Now, this places, again, a New Testament image here. This places Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet 
at the Last Supper as more than just what many think, oh, he's just showing us that we ought to serve one another, that he was showing how humble he was. I think it was much more. I think what Jesus is doing is fulfilling the law of Moses. But see, today, we don't use feet washing, but we do use baptism. And to understand this cleansing that we receive in baptism is a symbol of that cleansing. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, all of those things, all that stuff in the Old Testament there is showing us that the, the cleansing part is, is, is a showing us the necessity for washing to worship God. Baptism now saves you, according to Peter, is stating what Psalm, uh, excuse me, Exodus 30.20 was saying, wash with water so you will not die. We need cleansed from sin and only Jesus can do that. He gives us an illustration, a very vivid illustration to make that point across to us. And then the third, the commitment comes now in the anointing oil. In verse 29 of, of Exodus 30, consecrate them and they will be especially holy. Whatever touches them will be consecrated. When we read, uh, uh, if you could follow the, uh, the recipe for this oil, when, when I was reading it, uh, it was obvious that this was very, very, very special holy oil. Um, you know, Pastor Raffaello, I do a psalm study every week. And uh, this, this uh, past week, it was uh, Trevor and I uh, to give uh, Pastor Raphael a break. And we, we looked at Psalm 133, which was all about the anointing oil coming upon uh, the high priest Aaron. It's a very, very short psalm. I just want to read it to you. It's just three verses. How delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. It is like the fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard, into his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. Wow, do you get this? The oil is meant as a blessing to these people of God. But it was a holy oil. And thus, through Christ, we become holy. Set apart, <laughs> not because uh, of, uh, that we're special in ourselves, that's for sure. But because he is holy. And thus, through him, we inherit his holiness. And again, 1 Peter tells us this. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy nation, a people for his possession. So why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we know 
that the fruit of this should be joy. The, the anointing is, is quoted in Psalm 45, 7 and, and in uh, Hebrews 1, 9. It's the oil of gladness. How can it not be gladness? I mean, this is just, we, we've received full and free forgiveness. And thus we have what Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. But I want you to notice, I hope you caught that phrase, to him be glory in the church. And this is what I want to pull apart now. How, how do we apply these principles in 2023 in the greater Williamsport area? Well, one reason why we stress covenant membership here at, at, at City Church is, is not just to fill up the pews, or actually we don't have pews, fill up the chairs, um, but it's, it's to be that city on a hill that we are displaying the light of Christ. And not just by reading the Bible, but by living it out in practice. Taking Jesus' words and making them our marching orders. And so let me see if we can pull these threads together now using the city church mission statement to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have three values that we pull from that, which is gospel, community, and mission. These are the vehicle to which we show how we are extending the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. All three of those values are related to what we've seen today in Exodus 30. Because the cost of our redemption relates to the gospel. That it cost everything to Christ. But he gave it to us as a free gift. The cleansing that we receive represents this community that we're in. You know, discipleship is following Jesus. This heart-watching and we do it in, a, in the family, in the church. And here, we have corporate worship. We have home groups. We have men's and women's groups. We have all kinds of ways that we are trying to show that we don't walk with Christ alone. We do it in community. If we are going to truly walk out this faith that we have, and ultimately, ultimately then results in a commitment of mission. I'm not just dressed up to look good, but to do good. And this is the combination of gospel and community lived out and shown to the world in practical ways, sharing the good news, but also doing good works. We belong to Christ because he chose us. We belong to him and we owe our lives to him for what he's done for us. And the evidence, the evidence that 
this is true in our lives is because we become changed. We are different. I learned this from my adopted daughter. I really learned it. We have a, uh, it, uh, living in, in um, former Soviet Union, we adopted a nine-year-old Russian orphan by the name of Olya. This girl had a horrible, horrible uh, childhood. Never, um, all, her whole family was, was alcoholics. Many of, most of them died. Uh, she was a, she, she had, she just went out on the street just to survive. Never went to school a day in her life. Um, she, she would, a, a woman that we knew who, who, uh, who had a program or a activity or mission to seek out, uh, abused and abandoned children. Debbie was helping Helen. And so that's how we discovered Oya, fell in love with her. Now she becomes our daughter. We adopted her. Surprisingly, this girl, who had never been one day in school, actually was quite intelligent. She picked up English rather fast with us, um, just became just right away and included into our home. And uh, she had been with us for about six months, and we were having dinner one night. Um, it was just the three of us at the time. It was, it was Oya and Debbie and me. And I'm always a conversation starter. I always like to, you know, want to help her practice her English and whatever. So I, so I said to her, I said, I said oh, yeah. It's, I said, um, what has changed in your life since you've been adopted? And, and I'll never forget this. She had a fork of spoon, a fork getting some food, and it was about halfway up to her mouth when I asked the question. And, and as she heard the question, she dropped her fork and looked at me like, that's the stupidest question I've ever heard. She said, and she said, what has changed? What has changed? What, what hasn't changed? I, I have a new name. I have a new family. I have a new home. I have a new dog. I think the dog came before everything else. But anyway, she, she just, you know, she said, everything in my old life is gone. Everything, everything is new. When she said that, I mean, I'm, she didn't say it quite that nicely, but that was the, the idea of what she was communicating. I said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for showing me, showing me, Lord, what the gospel is truly through a nine-year-old Russian orphan girl. Because that's us. That is us. Everything has changed. In Christ, as his disciples, we have received that, that costs the cleansing and the commitment of Christ for our redemption. And so as his disciples, as we receive that grace of the gospel that we could never achieve on our own. And we embrace community, which is growing together in Christ, becoming more and more transformed into the image of Christ. Thus, we can go in mission to serve as his representatives in his name. We are new. 
And just as we read the Old Testament in light of the New, we also partake of the elements of communion, knowing that they are simply symbols of what we will eventually experience in eternity. Because the bread represents his body. His life that we will share together forever. And the cup represents his blood. His victory over sin that again we will share with Christ in glory. So I want us all to just take a moment, reflect upon these things today. And when you're ready, go around, pick up the cup and bread, go back to your seats, and we'll partake of the communion elements together. Thank you for listening to this message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We hope God meets you where you are and doesn't leave you, but changes you through the work of His Son. For additional information, please visit citychurchpa.org.